Hello and welcome to Paincast, conversations on pain and physiotherapy. This podcast is brought to you by the Pain Science Division of the Canadian Physiotherapy Association. I'm Tiffany, a physiotherapy student at the University of Toronto. Today we have the amazing opportunity to chat with Amanda DeSashling about supporting children with complex pain. Amanda has been working at the Alberta's Children's Hospital since 2014 at their outpatient orthopedics, complex pain, and burn clinic. She is also a current board member and a past president of the Canadian Physiotherapy Association. In this episode, we talked about pain in the pediatrics context, concrete ways to support children experiencing complex pain and their families, and how we can communicate concepts of pain in better languages. Enjoy! One of the unexpected things I have on this journey of interviewing physios about pain is actually the wide variety of physios I get to get their perspectives on pain. I had wanted to do that, but I didn't think it would be such a wide perspective. Now I have Amanda, who is doing mostly peds and dealing with a lot of complex pain cases with children. So that's very interesting to have and very fortunate to have you on Paincast in this episode. Amanda, can you introduce yourself? What do you do and your current practice? Thank you so much, Tiffany. Um, I'm Amanda DeShasteline, and I've been a physiotherapist for the second part of my career at the Alberta Children's Hospital. And I work in many areas, but one of my big areas is in the complex pain clinic, which is a multidisciplinary clinic. So uh, we have an anesthesiologist, a nurse, pain psychologist, and a pain physical therapist. And so uh, the clinic runs once a week. And we do up to three intakes, and the intakes are about 90 minutes. And we're fortunate we have two psychologists that cycle through. And now we have three physiotherapists who specialize in pain, who also rotate through. So about every three weeks, I can get up to three new complex pain patients, and we work with them sort of in a multidisciplinary fashion. When you say complex pain, what do you mean by that? So complex pain is the term that our clinic decided to use because chronic pain, you know, uh, sounds like it's been around for a long time. And uh, all our kids, we service um, children at the children's hospital between newborn all the way through to 18 years of age. And pain that is persistent beyond three months is... um, we believe more accurately described as complex pain because so many parts affect it. So it's not just the biological, there's an impact from the psychological, the social, and all those pieces, the family circumstances and things. So that's how our pain clinic decided to go with it. So we tend to use the word complex, even though it means the same as chronic. But again, People don't think of children as having issues with persistent pain, but actually statistically one in five children will have trouble with complex pain, whether it's following a surgery or following a few injuries or one injury. And so it's made our caseloads very variable. Wow. Mm-hmm. So pain to children, I imagine, is very intuitive. They feel pain. They feel pain. Yes. It wasn't thought very long ago that that infants felt pain. 
And now we know, of course, they do. And I don't know who would have thought they didn't. But for a while, people didn't think children or infants felt pain, but they do. I mean, it would be quite interesting if you asked them, what is pain? Do you think they would be able to answer? Oh, children in pain can express what it feels like. Sometimes they have a trouble. One of the things I like to uh, use in my description of pain with anyone, but particularly with kids, is I kind of um, refer to it as a volume. So I sort of say, you know, when the music is playing really, really loud and you just have to turn it down, that's like a 10 or the worst pain you've ever had anywhere. Does it ever get to zero? Like we've turned it all the way down and we don't hear it at all. And so we can get a gauge of where they're at. So some have trouble describing that. Others don't, um, probably similar to adults. And then the descriptions can vary. So how they experience it. What I do find with a lot of the children and teens that I see is they can be quite descriptive. It feels like someone is pushing their fist into my stomach and it's bursting through something like it can be very descriptive. So sometimes that's, you know, wow, I can imagine how that feels and it sounds pretty awful, but it's very interesting how our brain just interprets pain is just a signal. Sometimes pain, you know, indicates accurately that, you know what, I just rolled my ankle and there's tissue damage and there's swelling and everything else. And maybe you shouldn't walk on me right now. But the persistent pain after the injury and the tissue have healed, that's the piece that is, and again, I like to use metaphors to help explain, that's like the fire alarm that somebody pulls and it's not being reliable. I often use a car alarm. You can walk by a car and be several meters away and that sensitivity just lights it up and it starts to fire and you haven't done anything. So education is really key for families as well as the kids. So, and it very much varies how the education is given depending on the age of the child and the family. This is not easy. I mean, I imagine pain science education is tough for adults. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's your experience with that? Like, do you find most of the kids resonate or understand the analogy you're giving them and are happy about their analogies? What are the experiences? Yeah, I find language to be one of the most underutilized and undervalued tools that we have. And so, you know, being able to connect with your client, no matter what their age, but I find particularly with little ones, or, you know, medium aged ones in in adolescence really comes down to kind of listening to them, finding out what they're putting out there, what they're interested in, and then finding a way to use that and help them understand. So for instance, I had a little girl yesterday who has neck and shoulder pain that's been quite persistent. And we were talking about, I think she's going into grade four, so she's nine, and was talking about some muscles that were working really hard. And I'd already worked with her on sort of deep core muscle, multifidus, And she mentioned Harry Potter. So she said, actually, so what you're saying is Harry, Ron and Hermione are working really hard. And I said, yes. And, you know, the giraffe muscle, as I call it, you know, Professor McGonagall's doing her job. And these guys are working really hard. We need to recruit, you know, and she said, 
the two guys, or who did she say? She said, Malfoy, we need to recruit Draco Malfoy. And I said, yes. And his friends, you know, the ones that like the floating cupcakes. So again, so she's got a totally different picture in her mind about what's going on and she's not labeling her pain. She's, I've given her like your muscles are working too hard. So she's talking about muscles and she's labeling them the three hardest working Harry Potter characters. And from there, so it almost puts it at a distance um, because pain can be so overwhelming. It's that, it's that soundtrack we listen to all the time. So I find finding that connection. And if they like cars, we talk about how, we get a super highway of pain that goes up to your brain and, and lets you know and, and how we want to do other things so that we start to almost like that super highway gets overgrown with weeds and things. And that's how we quiet down the pain. So, so I find the, yes, it's, it's kids are smarter than we give them credit for. They will tell you lots of things about their pain and if you can educate them and get them to understand what biologically and physiologically is going on and how we can change that, then we can have really good success, especially if the parents are on board because, you know, they're with their parents more than they're with anybody else in their lives usually. And so if the parents really understand what to do, then the children can be encouraged and fostered to follow the recommendations. And I've had a, I had a child early on working in the pain clinic who'd had two sprains in his foot with recovery between each. But after the second, he started getting CRPS, which is complex regional pain syndrome and tingling, didn't want put weight on it, was up in orthopedics clinic and the, the orthopedic surgeon up there quickly thought this is CRPS. We need to get physio up here. So brought him down. He was four and, um, really gave mom and him a very good base of understanding of what was going on with those nerves being mixed up that was not indicative of damage and started to get him working on gentle weight bearing, like even just having his foot touching the ground very lightly. And then, oh, and I can't believe I said this to a four-year-old, but I said, then we're going to be a drunken sailor and we're <laughs> we're kind of weaving sitting and we're going to get more and more weight on it mother forgave me about the drunken sailor piece and he laughed and he thought that was great and when I saw him you know three days later he was actually putting weight through it um, with his walker and within four weeks he was healed and running around again so again if they follow the directions and we catch it early it can change the pattern and so because it was just starting and he knew it wasn't dangerous. We talked about, oh, they're so mixed up. We need to, we need to straighten them out. We need to talk back to those nerves. We need to, because your brain is bigger than that. So pain is really, you know, pain is just a message. It's like hot. You know, if, if you feel something uh, warm, like you go to touch your teapot or something, you feel that it's warm. It's just a message. But the thing with pain is it's our it's our interpretation of it. It's it's all the pieces that come with it, particularly memory, your mood. If you've had poor sleep, there's so many pieces that kind of um, act like accelerant on that little fire of or burning embers. And if we can kind of help understand the other pieces that can play into it, we can really kind of help move them in a right direction. So that education piece is really important. And once they understand it better, they don't feel so much at the mercy of it. 
And I think another piece that's really important is for them to not be afraid of it because they've been afraid of it. And that makes it worse because <laughs> fear is that anxiety and it just feeds that pain. They're so interconnected. It's like a, a big ball of yarn that's really knotted. And we're trying to pull that and tease that apart for them. And, you know, it works with a lot of them and with, or with some of them, they have, you know, the psychological piece might be much bigger. So if you look at the biopsychosocial model of that um, Venn diagram with the very three nice overlapping circles of the same size, that rarely happens. We often get kids whose either biological piece is quite big and their psychological and social are, are less impacting. I have a family right now working very closely with psychology as well, and their biological piece is actually quite small, but their psychological and their social pieces are so big. And unfortunately, physio is a component, but just working with me is not going to move them out of that state simply because they have those other pieces that either haven't shifted or aren't going to shift depending how entrenched the family is in their situation. It's very incredible how you describe the method of providing pain education to kids because pain education is something that's really abstract, like a lot of abstract concepts. And you said we give less credit than they deserve in terms of mm -hmm. how well they can perceive that. And, and I probably do because I thought, you know, kids can't comprehend abstract things. How do we do this with them? So that's quite incredible how you do it. How do you find in terms of having kids understand why they need to put themselves through pain to get better? Ah, that's a really good question. Again, just like the little guy I was telling you about, once they buy into, and again, a four-year-old may be a little easier to convince than a teenager, but, but once they buy into and understand it's not dangerous, it's telling you the wrong message. You know, I kind of get silly about it. So with the four-year-old or even with an older one, it's like, you know, if I if I am doing some pain, you know, uh, or sensitivity testing and, and we're doing a sharp, like just a sharp sensation, the end of a, a popsicle stick that you've broken in half and, you know, kind of softened down a little bit, but it's, it's pokey. So, uh, you know, you do it on that, the good side, and if it feels a certain way, oh yeah, it's pokey, and you do it gently on the other side or the same the same uh, intensity, and they're like, ooh, it feels like you're stabbing me, and I go, oh, isn't that interesting? I did the same thing on both sides, and this one, your nerve's telling you it's stabbing. Am I stabbing you? And they're like, no. I said, oh, we got to talk back to those nerves. We've got to, we've got to make them like, we've got to straighten them out. They're mixed up. And so same thing, I make the, you know, putting the foot on the floor, it's just the floor, like, oh, so, you know, let's, how does it feel on that one side? Okay, well, let's talk back to those nerves. And when they start to feel like a little bit of touch is just okay, then we can put a little bit more pressure. And I find once they get a little bit of success and traction on that, it tends to move pretty quickly like that little guy. That is the exception. It was caught early. Parents were on board, bought in right away. And there, there wasn't a lot of psychological, you know, sequela from that. Like they weren't, 
they hadn't been in the situation for months and losing sleep and all of those other sorts of things. But helping them see that nerves can get mixed up like any other part of the body. But I like to I like to say that, you know what, your brain is capable of doing really good things. And I often ask, like, what's something that was really hard for you in school? And they might say math. And I say, oh, so did you have to work hard to, you know, figure out your times tables? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you did it, didn't you? Yeah. So you had to repeat it, but then it got easier. Yeah. And I said, well, that's like that super highway. Now math for that is easier. And your nerves can do that with sending pain messages. They're getting really good at sending them, but they're not telling you something reliable. So we have to help calm them down. So your nervous system can get better at just being your nervous system. So again, trying to um, make it something less scary and abstract. And it is an abstract concept, but if they can understand it like that, this is something that I've just learned, then they can take charge of it and feel like they have a little bit more control. Because honestly, every one of us have amazing machines in our head called our brains that are capable of doing so much more. And if we can help them tap into that, it makes a big difference. Obviously, it takes a lot of skill and experience talking to kids and figuring out what resonates, what not. But even applying these techniques that you mentioned, I think it would be also very helpful even in adult population totally. for experiencing these kinds of pains. Wow. Absolutely. I think if you want to understand something uh, that's new to you, go to the library and get a book, a children's book on it, because they'll distill it down to the basics. And if it, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, say adults aren't smart, but these are complex things so that if we can if we can make those terminologies make those concepts accessible if that can make them uh move through this better um or faster or or get their heads around some of the pieces um i just think that's the better thing for the patient so uh so yeah i'm all for plus i'm part kid so <laughs> i i'm kind of I, I feel like part of me never grew up so i can easily tap into you know what's going on with some kids and and yeah it takes skill but it also uh that relationship is really important and the relationship and the trust with the family because that's one of the unique things about children is that they come with their with their family and uh whoever they're living with whoever that is if they're understanding and can support it makes such a huge difference the children who are in situations that are more challenging there might be a parent or a grandparent at home that has a complex ongoing pain issue that isn't going to get better or or you know the circumstances are such that they can move that or shift it in any way that's really hard because they're modeled it, okay so we live with pain this is what this is but it, that's distressing when you're coming across a younger person who has their whole life ahead of them and so helping them get through that and, and seeing there's another side if you can. And sometimes, like I say, we can't shift everything that's going on that's contributing to the situation. How many would you say are those who would be able to get onto the other side and have and be over with their pain and how many would have to live with their pain? That's a really good question. Those that are fortunate enough to be identified early by their practitioners and getting the proper information at the right time, which is so key for everything, no matter what kind of issue you're dealing with, like that little one I was telling you about from his diagnosis of the CRPS to him being able to walk out with no pain, that was, that was a month. That's an ideal situation. 
It's so challenging to put a number on it. You know, I have had great success with some families and, and kids and others. Um, others have gone on. We haven't been able to completely get their pain away, but we've helped them get to a place where their pain is no longer the first thing on their mind every day. It's a little bit further in the background. So one of the unique things that we have at the Alberta Children's Hospitals, we have a an outpatient day program for, uh, it used to be a six-week period, now it's three weeks. And they come in and it's like school, except, you know, they come in and they do a warm up and then they um, might have an education session from physio or OT or um, psychology. They'll have a break. They'll do an individual physiotherapy session. They'll do a group physiotherapy session through the day. They might have rec therapy. They do have two courses that they can do and they have a bit of class time, but basically they're there to learn how to manage and pace and cope and have all these strategies so that they are able to, if their pain isn't gone, their pain is, like I said, it's in the background. And there's variations of how successful that goes. But for the most part, the people that have gone through the program have been very happy with where they end up. And uh, and it's, it's a journey. This is just the launching. So a really good story was last winter there was a physiotherapy assistant student that was working on inpatients and they came down and they introduced themselves to me on their second to last day or in their last week and they said uh, do you remember me and I looked at her and she looked familiar but her hair was very dark and she said her name and I said you had blonde hair, you're the figure skater. And she had been in the intensive pain rehab program with me as her physio. Um, and she had persistent headaches. And she, she said that program was life changing for her. So she was able to, I, I remember she described three different types of headaches to me at the beginning. And she was so able to take on everything that she was taught from psychology in that program. They also have family therapy, which is great and physio and got to the point where she graduated. She is now graduated from a therapy assistant program and she wants to be an occupational therapist. So I said, where did I go wrong? <laughs> and she said, she said, uh, she just thought that it was neat that um, OTs could could get into like more ergonomics and things. And she thought she thought that might be somewhere she wanted to go. I was teasing her, of course, but uh, so it can be that successful. So she was, I think she was 16 or 17 and in, in the program. And she just, she was so thankful. And the interesting thing was, was she was actually involved with an intensive pain rehab program, IPRP, that was uh, going on at that time. And I said, did you talk to the kids that you were working with? Did you tell them you were, had been where they were? And she goes, yeah. And I said, how impactful would that have been for you to hear that at that time? And she said, oh, that would have been great. And so I thought about that because it was her last week. And I, I went to um, our clinic group and I sort of mentioned to uh, the physician in charge. And I said, you know, if she'd be willing to do this, would you want to maybe ask if she'd come in and, and talk to some of the people that are in the program? And they said, absolutely. 
So I went upstairs um, on her last day and I met her and I said, since you mentioned that it would be so impactful, would you be interested? And before I got the question out, she said, yes, <laughs> like she was right there. So that feels really good when somebody has that kind of an experience. And more often than not, we've had that kind of experience. But again, there's so many factors. So when we have those wonderful wins, it's, it's, it's amazing. But we can't seem to, you know, we can help. We can help people, but also people have to trust and have faith in themselves. So if somebody honestly, what, whatever their age is, if they don't believe that their condition or their situation can change, and it's really hard for us to help them engage. It might not be the right time. Maybe they're not ready. Maybe they just can't conceive of it to change. So I have had some discussions with people and I said, look, I'm just going to tell you what I can offer and, you know, what my thoughts are, my experience. I said, but ultimately to change how your nerves fire, we have to do things differently so that we get those new pathways. And it doesn't matter how much I want you to feel better and your mom or your dad wants you to feel better my brain and their brains can't move your body. And usually, you know, they, they're, they're kind of like, okay. And I don't start them off as, you know, we're going to run a marathon here. We start really small and we take baby steps, so to speak, but we build up from there. And uh, one of the patients I had last fall, widespread pain, she was going into grade 12. And I said, what's your goal? And she said, I would like to be able to dance at prom for three hours and not pay for it the next day. And feel awful and and so we part of her program we started gentle uh and she was very diligent and I said so I think you should plan to have some dance parties so we started with a 10 minute dance party she was going to do once a week and then you know she'd build it up build it up and then she even got to a point where she was inviting friends and they had a one hour dance party and I'm very happy to say that when she graduated she brought pictures and she was dancing for 3 hours and more and she would have danced longer but the music got crazy and people were getting a little rowdy so she decided to leave so I'm like I'm so happy and she did that all herself but uh their family fully engaged and uh She'll be going off to university in the fall and feeling much better and um, interested in, in maintaining this, of course. So she she can kind of sprinkle it through her day, which is what I advise the kids do. It's not, you know, we're going to do half an hour of an exercise program right now. It's what little things can we do to break things up during the day? So it sounds to me, if correct me if I'm wrong, there are two very important factors of what makes a case successful. So one of it, probably is the reduction of their pain intensity and how much pain bothers them in, in their day-to-day -day life. Is, is that correct? How much it bothers them? Um, we never guarantee in our clinic that we're going to be able to bring down their pain. That's not something we can guarantee. We can change, we can change it, whether it's reduction or if it's further back. And usually if it's further back, it's reduced. It's not as forefront. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So the first factor and the second factor that I was going to mention, they, they come hand in hand because if the pain will be there, can we live our lives without having pain as something in the forefront of our minds? Can we go about doing all sorts of different things and do whatever you would like to do, even though there is pain, but you can live your life, basically? Absolutely. 
and uh, a really neat component that I was able to get some uh, education in is medical hypnosis. So there's a psychologist who works at a BC Children's Hospital now. Her name is Dr. Leora Kuttner, K-U-T-T-N-E-R. And she had a fascinating history working with children at the Montreal Children's Hospital in the 80s when they didn't have uh, propofol to help put children to sleep when they were having bone marrow extractions and because they were undergoing cancer treatment. So these kids were having procedures drilling into their ilia to extract bone marrow, which is an extremely painful procedure. And she was working with those children and children having cancer treatments and things. And she was helping them go through procedures by preparing them with medical hypnosis. So they were so absorbed and distracted in whatever they wanted to be, whether it was a story that was being read by Leora while they were having their procedure. Absolutely fascinating and how she was able to help them be so much more comfortable. And so I learned from her some of those skills. And I have to say with one of my kids who's 10, who had vincristine neuropathy, which is a very common side effect of one of the chemo drugs called vincristine. And for some reason, it gives children in particular, we don't know why, usually a foot drop and pain. And sometimes they can get it in their hands too. So this little guy had gone through all his cancer treatments, was cancer free, but had persistent pain in his arms and hands, particularly like a glove and from his feet all the way up to his knees, like a sock. And he had full strength, full range of motion, was playing hockey, like full function. So basically, sometimes I, again, give a metaphor of pain as like those purple minions who are just kind of crazy and nasty, um, playing instruments that they don't know how to play in an orchestra. And just like that is how uh, uncomfortable and how loud that is. And he was just having that from his legs and his arms, hands, sorry, into his elbows and uh, all the time. Like it was just a, a never ending soundtrack his brain was listening to that was exhausting. And we'd done some physical stuff before. And then I was just, you know, your nervous system is just sending these messages that aren't helpful to you. So we explained the medical hypnosis to them. They were very on board. We did a session and he took off with it. It's, it's something they do for themselves. It's kind of like self-meditation, but with a very, the difference with hypnosis is there's a, the goal of having a change in your uh, experience. And so he was able to go from having eight on 10 pain down to, he brought himself down to a three the first time we did it. And now he's barely noticing it. And because it's just, it's not, it's not useful information. So he's been able to change that for himself. And, and Dr. Kuttner had another experience of teaching a child a technique and who was a teenager who had a very complex condition and that happened to have a lot of pain with it. And her, her goal was to go hiking with her family. And she was able to go for a, a longer hike with her family and was very happy to report to Leora that she was able to do that. And she, and she said, wow, that's amazing. And she said, every 10 minutes, I just went in there and flipped the switch. And she was able to just keep going while she was walking. She got so good at it. So it's just like your math. You learn your math. You learn this new pathway. You're able to change it up. So that's how powerful our brains are. 
So all of these little tips and tricks, they don't work for everybody, but that's the beauty of physiotherapy is you have all these tools and you draw on them as you need to, whether it's kids or adults. And think if you can explain really well, if you can use good metaphors, if you really listen to the patient and what they hear and you find out what is it that you really want to do, you can focus your treatment. And people are willing to go through discomfort to be able to get to the things that they really want to do. Like if this is going to mean that I can get back to dance, like one that I was talking about, then yeah, doing a few squats on the wall with the ball to support yourself and get yourself stronger there's a goal at the end, you see where you're going. And so that can make a real difference. And that's context as well. So context is very important. That's very interesting that your brain can just do the flip and switch to bring down your pain. Well, it depends on the technique. It depends on the the kid. It depends on how committed they are. And again, like how much can they engage in it? Plus the support. So the girl with the... Um, with the goal for the dancing, her parents were all in supporting her, whatever she needed. Not that they, the others aren't, but sometimes it does take some nudging, like reminders and things like that. But um, she was seeing such good progress that it was easy to kind of watch that progression for her family. And others, you know, they're just ready. They're done with the pain. It's not getting any better. I want to do something. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Can you share a story that is not so happy ending? Oh, gosh. Um, we had a person come through our IPRP program years ago, um, and she had had a rugby injury to her knee. And she had this horrible CRPS that was probably one of the worst I'd ever seen. Her skin was red, 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 hot. And it had spread down into her calf and her foot. And her foot was very purple. If it was dependent, it was swollen. It looked very angry all the time. She couldn't even tolerate putting her toes in water. We have a part of the pandemic, we had a therapy pool that was functional. Um, and we did part of our IPRP group physio sessions were in the pool. And she couldn't do that part with that foot in the water. She couldn't weight bear on it. She was on crutches. We had to modify some of the tests that she was doing. She didn't really engage in the psychological components. And so the whole program wasn't adhered to. So there was always a piece missing. And unfortunately, she left with a little bit more function than she came. But my understanding is she's now um, an adult, uh, is that she's still has the CRPS that hasn't gone away. But I, I think there might have been a lot more going on in the psychological or the social piece that wasn't brought forward. It's not my realm, but to the team. And maybe if that is the case, if that had been addressed, that might have been a little different. But as far as I know, she's she's still functional. She just might not be, you know, crutch free or, or anything like that. So that's an example of one that maybe didn't go the way that we would have liked or they would have liked but again it's always the person's choice you know if they want to I always tell them like I'm going to give you suggestions you can say yes or no and uh, if you say I'm not going to do that then I'm going to come up with a, a an alternative and we'll negotiate but if it's something that they're not ready for or you know you have to respect that where they're at as well. 
were there any cases where the patient, the kid, and the family were compliant, motivational, supportive, adhered to all the elements of the program, yet did not achieve a great result? Mm, I have to think now. You know, I I can't think of an example where the family were all in and the patient was all in that they did not have improvement in their function, for sure. Whether their pain number, and within three weeks, it would be very, very, very unlikely that their pain number goes down. And that's part of uh, a lot of the education is, you know, we we don't expect that that number is going to change right away. It takes, the research shows, it takes lots of time. We need those patterns to, you know, your pain didn't start at this level overnight. It grew and we need time for it to to dissipate. So that's often disappointing. They want the quick fix. They want a pill that will take it away. I've often said I want a magic wand. I've never been able to find the magic wand. If I find it, I will use it on you. <laughs> But um, but it, it does come down to some work, uh, but it can be fun. And that's what I try to make the physio component of it fun. And the more your brain is having fun along with pain, it changes the context. If you're in drudgery, if you're hating what you're doing, which is why I, I go for let's let's have fun. So oftentimes you'll see me with kids from our pain clinic have at the beginning of their session, their warm up is them and I side by side on plasma cars going around the bottom floor of the children's hospital because that's fun. And we have conversations. We get caught up on their, on their week. We get caught up on what they're doing. And then we have a little races now and then when it's safe, cause nobody's coming. And usually people, adults, staff, families are walking by going, that looks like a lot of fun. And it is, it is. So if you can make it fun, even for adults, if you can make it fun, part of your brain is happy. Even when part of your brain is having pain, that is better than having drudgery while you're feeling pain because no doubt drudgery is going to make that pain bigger and worse. I mean, to a certain extent, it's a hopeful message to send because there is hope if someone is motivated, if there is some supportive environment that at least the function will improve. And hopefully from there, the pain will continue to be more and more in the back of the mind and so on. You got it. You got it. And then eventually they might not notice it at all, which is the whole point. Those nerve cells that fire together, wire together. So if they're not firing together at the same pace, those minions are, you know, they're fewer and fewer. There's, there's less and less of them. They're maybe learning their instruments. So it's not as bothersome. I like to talk in metaphors because I find if you can visualize that and if it, if it sparks something in you for that understanding piece, that makes it that much more easy to engage if you can understand why. So when a patient come and ask, mm-hmm. will my pain ever go away? How long does it take to go away? I'm sure you encounter these questions all the time. Families would ask these questions. How honest do you get? Uh, what do you say to them? I give them the facts, the research that pain can go away. We can't make it go away super quickly. It takes time, but it can happen. It can get reduced. Maybe it will go away. Maybe it will be there, but at much less intensity. And everybody is different. I also tell them that, you know, often some of the kids that come into our clinic, they may have come into the world with a nervous system that was just set a little bit more um, sensitive. 
yes, ready to tell them about anything. And those people who have those kinds of nervous systems, their superpowers, their nervous system is pretty amazing. It will tell them everything. It will probably make them really smart. It will probably make them an incredible athlete. The double-edged sword of that is it's going to do everything it does really well, including pain. But we can change that. So the message is everybody's different. Pain can get reduced with work and medications and thinking patterns and things. But I never, I never give a limit. I believe our brains are so much more powerful than we ever give them credit for. And if you're being told something, if it's being told from someone high up that, you know, you're never going to be able to walk again, it's easy to believe that. But I would challenge them that maybe, maybe you can prove them wrong. Right. So I don't like taking that hope away. Obviously, if the person is a, a paraplegic, I'm not going to say you're going to walk again. Like that's that's not what I'm saying here. But the capacity, you know, sky's the limit for if you want it to be, in, in my opinion, if you can, if you can. I don't want to take that hope away because who am I? Who am I to say no? Yeah, I think that's a very important way of addressing these kinds of questions, because coming from a physio you know, there's authority that comes with what we say as suggestions, and our words can really dictate outcomes. There's the placebo effect, nocebo effect, and patient taking in literally what you say and live that out, right? So I like how you address those questions. Yeah, I try to be as open with them as I can be and, and as possible, but without putting kind of a limitation on it. Because you could prove me wrong. And I'm happily to be proved wrong if it means you're feeling better and functioning better and, and all of that stuff. It's incredible to hear your experience and your expertise in helping children with complex pain. And what you do is very meaningful. So thank you so much for doing that, sharing that with us, sharing all the stories, successful ones and the not successful ones. I'm sure the audience would find this very insightful and very interesting to hear. Well, thank you, Tiffany. And I'm glad you invited me and I hope I made sense. <laughs> oh, absolutely. If there's audience out there that are curious, that wants to ask more questions, are you open to like being connected through certain media? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I feel like if, if people have questions and, and I can be helpful with ideas, I'm happy to do that. The more we share, the better things are. So, What will be the best way to connect with you? If I can give my work number, that might be the best because it's a, a voicemail that's definitely I'm going to see that I get it. So 403-955-7590. And that's my number at the Children's Hospital. And you can leave me a voicemail and a way to get a hold of you and we can connect. Thank you. Thank you for being willing to be connected. Well, have a good night. Thank you, Tiffany. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Paincast on supporting children with complex pain. I hope you found it meaningful. To support our podcast, Please subscribe and rate the podcast on Spotify or Podbean and share it with your network. Stay tuned for future episodes on pain and physiotherapy.